Yo, yo, this is Treasy. And I'm Young Leezy. And we are the On Ear Network. We know you've heard our tag at the end of this show, but it dawned on us that we've never really introduced ourselves. So we wanted to invite you to listen to all of our podcasts. Right now, our roster consists of And Then We Had Sex, a comedy couple that talks about their sex life with an occasional celebrity. The Locker Room, where men take off their filters and say how they really feel. And Grams of Snow, for your underworld and organized crime stories. And of course, Kind of Movie Critics which is our show, where we deep dive into movies and TV. So if you enjoy this show, check out some of One Ear's other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's start the show. How much do we owe? Five Gs to two bookies. A few grand in the bank, not including what I owe my brother. Art Mario, start typing. You want me to write about the mafia? Yeah. How do I tell that story any differently? Hi, friends. Hey. Hey. (laughs) Hi. You excited like shit? You sound like a bad bitch. Hey. Hi. Tired of you. Yeah, man. Grams of Snow podcast. Man, your favorite podcast. The ones that break down movies and TV shows about mafia street gangs drug you know rico related crimes teenage addiction political science i mean like you know all the the things that involve politics people bad guys and the movement of economies right okay that's not bad right no that's life i guess that that is life i mean at the at the corner of it i think this is at the at the pit of every problem what do you call it? A a blue hot, a something blue film about your favorite people. Ice blue terror, an ice <laughs> blue terror film about your favorite, about people you love. About people you love. Yeah. Uh, that got them the job. An ice blue terror film about people you love. That's life though. That's life, man. That was a great pitch. A less than 10 sentence pitch. That's what they call an elevator pitch. Since. Yes, that, that is an appropriate elevator pitch. Yeah. Treasy couldn't do an elevator pitch. No, um, but, <laughs> I'm not capable. No, <laughs> I want to warn, not warn y'all, but prepare y'all now. This is kind of not the offer, but the Godfather is why this podcast exists. Quite literally. Yeah. Um, Treasy and my love for mafia movies is kind of how we got here. To be willing to even have these conversations. That's true. Um, I will absolutely be the B mic on this particular show. I'm okay with it. Oh, um, I appreciate. I'm you not going to okay argue it this time. I will absolutely be absolutely be the B mic, if only because Treasy's love for The Godfather extends beyond the movie. Like it's <sighs> it's different. Yeah, like this is his jam. So watching yeah. this, I've I've heard him tell like little anecdotes about some of the stuff that we saw here or the stuff I'm sure we'll see later. But now I'm like, wait, what the fuck? Like was. It, it's, it gets blurry. So just prepare yourself. Treasy is, his feet are shaking. He's really excited. <laughs> I hate you right now. We yeah. like started on time. <laughs> like, what do you mean? We always start on time. I know. They they think that. Um, Shut up. So he's just really, I'm excited to talk about it with him because I know the conversation will be really good because it'll probably feed more like a conversation because it's going to be asking a bunch of questions. Okay. And you getting to have that conversation and answer them and you love being right and having to you know, tell me I'm wrong. So. <laughs> I love conversation. I know. I know. Oh, my God. Shame on you for trying to put me in a box, but I appreciate it. Put you in a box? What box? <laughs> um, no elevator pitch. You stubborn, like you being right. You know that you can't give an elevator pitch. 
Yeah, I mean, but I, I don't need you to put me in that box. I'm already in it. I don't need you to seal and the box. Stubborn people listen to this show. They don't. Ha- I didn't have to tell them that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know what? The legend is true. Everything you think is true. All right. Um, but yeah, man, we're here to talk about the offer Paramount yeah. Plus. We've been prepping you guys for it. We've been warning you. We've been telling you to save your seven day yes. or thirty day subscription. Uh, I feel like we even told you guys to go back and watch The Godfather. Maybe we didn't. But uh, we always talk about it all the time. W- right. But <laughs> I want to be clear about something because shout out to BJ. I just got off the phone with BJ. Uh, I want, And he asked me a very serious question. And I want to make sure that all of our listeners know this. You do not have to watch The Godfather to appreciate this show. Oh, no, not at all. However. It does make it better. It makes the experience so much better if you know The Godfather. That's what made it blurry for me. Okay. Okay, yeah. good, 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 good. But I just wanted to get that out the way. Um, so if anybody's having reservations about watching the offer because of that, don't worry about it. The show is standalone. The show yeah. is standalone. Um, and and I would like, to, you know, it's hard for us to say it because we've already seen it. But I would almost, in these three episodes that dropped, I would almost say. They dropped the, three? Yes. I only watched the first one. Are you serious? We're only doing one at a time, right? Oh, that's going to be tough, Six, because they all run together. I don't know which one. You said we were doing one at a time. Well, this came out the same way Snowfall did, and we did two in one episode, right? Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, they dropped three episodes, so you've only watched the first one. That's fine. That's cool. We can do that, and then we'll give you all two and three. Um, Sorry. No, it's all good. It's all good. But anyway, um, I, I have a feeling that, like, if you were to watch this show, um you're probably going to want to watch The Godfather. Like that's yeah. that's how well this is put together. So I wish I could have the experience like you just said, I wish I could have the experience of not seeing The Godfather uh-huh. and seeing this. And then seeing this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well dang that cuts okay. Let's do this then. Mm-hmm. Because I did watch all three episodes and you did not. No. I'm going to I would like this conversation to be Q&A. Okay. Some of the things that okay, I can you do have that. questions yeah. about. Okay. And maybe we could talk just so I don't overspeak yeah. the boundaries. And uh, if you watched it through, just keeping in mind the end of episode one ends when Sinatra, when whoever the guy who's working for Sinatra who receives the wreath. Mickey Cohen. Mickey Cohen sends the person to shoot at the car mm-hmm. that Ruddy is in. Right. That's where the first episode ends. Now Mickey Cohen does not work for well, he got the note Sinatra. from Sinatra. Okay. Who well, received? N- no. Who, what's the name of the gentleman who received the letter from Sinatra saying, I hope that we can put an end to this? Uh, that was Joe Colombo. So I'm talking about Joe Colombo. Yeah, Joe, Joe Colombo. Colombo sent someone to shoot at Ruddy's car when they were leaving um, Puzo and Capola. There you go. So, okay. Good, 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 good. Okay, great. Um, If we're weighing this in, and I figured we could just do a quick weigh in. This. This is, about as big as, this, this, is this, this is about as big as a brick as it could get. This is a love for real me, life. For me. For me, right? <laughs> this is about as big as a brick we can get for me. Um, what say you, Six? It was a brick. I was, a, again, even in my, I don't want to say confusion because I wasn't confused. Mm-hmm. But again, because I had, not seeing The Godfather might be of, of service to you. Okay. Um, because I have seen it. Mm-hmm. I, I, when I when it first came on, I was like, oh, are they like showing when they were shooting it? Okay, no. 
No. Right, but he's right. in the toilet with the weapon, with the gun, and I'm like, right, and he goes out to dinner. I'm like, that didn't happen in the movie. Easter eggs, right? And I was like, okay, well, maybe it's just. So, are they Easter eggs, or are they things that Coppola is going to pull from after having a conversation with someone later? I th- I think um no, they're just Easter eggs. So I think what's happening is, and that's what that's what makes the experience even better, right? It confused me. Under, I can understand that because yeah. I, because at some point I had somewhat of even the way that the the sh- the whole show opened right was kind of you know with with Columbo walking through Little Italy in the parade yeah we've seen that happen in Godfather Two mm-hmm. with the black hand that's how that's how Corleone Don Corleone young dog that's the when young he, Don that's young, how he becomes the Don yeah young Don Corleone that's when he you know kills the black over, hand yeah and then we see that in Godfather Three when um. Uh, uh, Joey, uh, Joey Zaza mm-hmm. is walking through a similar sort of parade mm-hmm. in Little Italy. So even the way that they opened the offer was an Easter egg to Godfather two and three. So when it opened, I was, I honestly, my first thought was, oh, they're showing us when they were shooting it, and right. it might just feed out into it. Got it. No, no, no. And no, then no, it no. didn't, and I was like, okay. Yeah. I, I feel like what's happening here is that they're putting Easter eggs for us to understand that like the movie does pull from the movie is so rooted in reality mm-hmm. um that it it can it can mimic real life right okay. like life imitating art however i don't think it's put there to I, because oh, they kind of show the the writing process these are not things that like Coppola or Puzo are privy to. So okay. it's not like these things are being taken and being put into the script. I just think that like, the, you remember that conversation we had a few episodes ago about Denzel and he was having, he was saying the thing about culture yeah, and how, you know. Kind of like when they were talking and saying, we got to put this in the in the film. They were like braising versus frying. He was like, no, a family making dinner. Exactly. Gotcha. Right. So Puzo... And Francis Ford Coppola understand Italian culture. Which is why Reddy went so hard to make sure that it was um, Coppola who told the story. Y- yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, that, that's all he could afford. But at the same time, right. the argument was- it, it worked out. We need an Italian to do this Italian, very Italian story. Right. Yeah. And th- and that's why Puzo was so hell bent on like, yo, I have to be the one to tell this. Until- he was in a pool, fucking ZD. <laughs> but the, but that listen, I could talk about that too because that is the that is like that's some artist shit. That is some artist shit. Okay. Uh, uh, sometimes as artists, so what you, so what she's referring to is when you know Puzo started writing the novel, and he shot himself in the foot. I mean, not the novel, but he the said screenplay. you got three months. I could do it in three days. Right. Why would you say that? That's some artist shit too. <laughs> Why would you say that? <laughs> the, the excitement. You're excited in the moment, you know what I mean. But a good producer accounts for that, right? Ruddy, Ruddy is my hero. After I watching like his this, voice. yeah, yeah, Ruddy, his voice moved me. I did not know, I didn't have any real context to Ruddy. And I, matter of fact, I used to call him Albert Rudy. I used to think it was so pronounced again, he's Rudy. real, and the, the, yes. the story they're telling about him, yes, is that, real. That's very real. Really? Yes. This, yes, like, uh, so this is all based on a book. That was written about Albert S. Ruddy. I, fi- I I read that, but I guess I didn't know how much of it was real versus sensationalized. Yeah, I, I mean, some of this stuff is probably. I mean, the stuff he this, really went from a computer programmer to that one show to this. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yeah. But see, that's at the core. That what a producer is is the person that that takes responsibility for the project. 
They're the person that delivers the project intact the way that it is asked from the executives, which in this case is Bob Evans, Robert Evans, right? Um, the executive makes make basically places an order mm-hmm. for, in this case, the movie, The Godfather. Mm-hmm. He hires somebody to basically project manage that. I was about to say, this sounds like a project manager. Yeah. A producer is a project manager. Okay. You know, it's somebody that who, makes sense to me. It, you know, in, in his case, Ruddy doesn't really have a lot of film experience yeah so i'm like how is is it just like a gift but if you're saying it's just project management i can see that yeah Yeah. so but he understands the milestones that need to be hit and he knows how to motivate people you know he knows how to like you know that's obviously what a strong suit is yeah so yeah so his responsibility is to make sure that the project gets delivered within budget on time usually is you know that's part of the the process as well but on budget is the number one thing because they keep stressing how much Mm -hmm. the you know paramount basically yeah they care about their profit margin and i didn't know that this movie saved paramount i didn't know that either Mm -mm. i didn't i didn't know that it saved paramount but i know that also old movie easter egg uh is the austrian the same guy from breakfast at tiffany's no oh my god do you no. see why i think so yes but that's crazy no the no why so the guy breakfast and Tif- at tiffany's is, he looks like the landlord in breakfast at tiffany's right so there was a big thing about that because i'm sure it was the, it was the, racist very because <laughs> the, the guy who played the the asian man in breakfast at tiffany's um rooney um something rooney um oh what is his name something rooney but yeah it's a white guy man are and, you what yeah, it's a white man who played. Yeah, There's a huge that was that was a huge deal, right? But oh, you know, wow. given that was what like the fifties, the sixties. Still, so, we weren't. I mean, I'm just just looking you know back I mean? on it with the eyes that I have now. Yeah, it, trust me, it's already been drugged through the ringer for that. That's like crazy. Breakfast at Tiffany's, Mickey Rooney, I believe is his name. Mickey Rooney. Mickey Rooney. Um, that was Mickey Rooney. That was Mickey Rooney. Yeah, that was Mickey Rooney. That that played the Asian man. So no, it's not <laughs> the Austrian man. Is not Mickey Rooney is probably he's either dead or two hundred years old. One of the two, <laughs> or close to two hundred. Mickey Rooney's old as fuck. He really did play Mister Yunioshi. Yeah, yeah. It was a big. It was a big thing. But keep in mind, Breakfast and Tiffany's was like I, I want to say it was early sixties. So you got to give nineteen fifty eight. Even even worse. Yeah. We weren't too far removed from we World War II. We weren't good people back then. Nobody was. Yeah. That's. Me. We just didn't have a lot of cultural context. I don't, I don't They had a lot of prosthetics. I mean, well, technology goes faster than community sometimes <laughs> in some ways. So, yeah, man. So, absolutely not. That is not Mr. That is not. <laughs> that is not Mr. <laughs> but that's okay. funny, though. That's but do you funny. see why I think that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He kind of he kind of resembles him. Like, it feels like a caricature in that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, I was like, oh, that's cute. Horn, yeah. <laughs> nah, it, it's not him. Um, uh, but yeah, man, uh, I, w- I was making a point about Puzo like 15 minutes ago, and I just want to I just want to put a, a, a pin on that. Uh, when he was in the pool, the screenwriting mm-hmm. process, that is a real thing with art. I'll, I'll speak for me as an artist. Like sometimes you get to this place where you really are overthinking what is being asked of you because you respect the craft so much. He respects the craft of literature so much as a novelist that like 
the translation between writing for novels and writing for screenplay is so much different, you know, and Ruddy kind of explained it, right? Screenplays are an abbreviated form. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be very concise and you have to sort of like coagulate moments to make, you know, you have to pull from like maybe three different moments to make one point in one scene. Um, and, and a novelist, you know, by nature, you know, they're He's descriptive, they're descriptive, you know, they embellish, they explain the world. Screenplays, if you ever read one, they do not do that. They can't connect the fact that someone's going to see it. You don't have to paint the picture. There you go. Yeah. It's a deconstruction process. And obviously he was dealing, he was, it was, that was hard for him to deal with. So, I can see how that, so he, justification for not using the novelist then. And, and, and as you can see, like his, his, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it is a big, it's funny. Cause that really is a thing where it's yeah. like. You know, sometimes the person who wrote the book is like, kind of like, ah, we don't need you for the screenplay because yeah. you're going to, it's your baby. One, and basically yeah. somebody's deconstructing your baby. And as a novel, like, I, I think what what makes a difference for me in listening to it, because again, I don't write in that way, but mm. it sounds like a, a novelist's job is to paint a picture for me yes. and to make sure that when I'm reading the book, I have a movie playing in my head. Yes. A movie's job is to be as close to what's in my head. Yeah. As, po- as to what's in as many people's heads as possible. Mm-hmm. And I just need the words just for the words. Right. I, the movie paints the picture, not the not the actual writing. Th- that, that's a good point. And, and let me build on that point. Be- and th- the reason why it needs to be deconstructed is because the actor who's playing, they have to have enough room to interpret that part on their own. Right. So they're responsible for, for bloating this character into right. what you want it to be. Giving it color. Yeah. If you give it too much constriction and you give it too much color, as you say, then the actor, that is not enticing to an actor yeah. to play a fully formed character. They they don't have a chance to really dig in and understand what makes this character tick and bring that to the screen. They can't inject themselves into the character there and you grow go. as an actor from it. Yeah. There you go. And then the same thing goes, that goes for everybody. The director doesn't have room to really do anything to paint the their own picture. Well read the book out loud. There you go. Yeah. The, the, the director of photography who hasn't come in yet, but, um, um, I, you know, I know is he's that what a, a DP is a DP, yep, okay. DP director of photography and Gordon Willis, I believe is the DP on this. Who, if anybody knows about Gordon Willis. Uh, on the in, show or the movie? In real life, the guy who was the director of photography for The Godfather, the Godfather okay. is Gordon Willis. Okay. If you like Gordon Willis's work, because Gordon Willis, he did something very special with The Godfather. Gordon Willis, and, I, and what this show is kind of painting, you haven't gotten there yet, mm-hmm. but Francis Ford Coppola, it was Francis Ford Coppola's overall vision of like the contrast between light and dark. What Gordon Willis did as a director of photography, because a director of photographer's job is to construct the frames and the vision and the look of the film through the camera. Mm -hmm. They're responsible for how it looks, how it's presented to the people. Gordon Willis took a huge chance with this film in like shooting it in a lot of shadows. If you go back and watch The Godfather, there's a lot of like, you know, it's hard to see people's eyes. It's veiled in shadows. Yeah. That was very purposeful. Really? I thought it was a product of how old the movie was. No, it was okay. v- it's very purposeful. That's what they're kind of showing, too. There's a lot of places where uh, Francis Ford Coppola, it, he just really talks about it, where it's like, you know, this is one scene in particular. You haven't gotten there, but uh, it's when they're location scouting for Don Corleone's house, mm-hmm. the house with the wedding and everything mm-hmm. like that. And he's going around with his camera and he's shooting 
you know, he's location scouting. That's what you do. You take pictures of the location. So, and you start visualizing where you're going to shoot certain scenes at, and then you understand the mechanics of it. He was just very big on like, oh, this is good. It's like this open field and the, you know, the yard where we can have this wedding, but it's set up against the backdrop of this very dark house. And, you know, and inside of this office where the Don is going to be having these like sort of like underworld meetings at the same time. You know, he was just big on that. So Mm -hmm. Gordon Willis basically veiled a lot of his, a lot of the subjects and shadows. And that was a big thing for Godfather. All that to say is if you like Gordon Willis work, go back and look at Roy de Carava. He's a photographer, a black photographer from the Harlem Renaissance. Roy de Carava. He was a master at contrast, at shadows, and if, and in my opinion, somebody else could, you know, I don't know. I've never sp- spoken to Gordon Willis. He has to be heavily inspired by Roy De Carava. But I just wanted to bring that out because nobody ever Follows talks about Roy De Carava. Artsy, so I can yeah. look into those prints. Roy De Carava and Gordon Willis are probably my two favorite. I, not wow, Gordon Willis. Yeah. Uh, Gordon, um, Barry, oh, uh, not Barry Gordy. Jesus Christ, oh, I said Barry Gordy was. Um, God, man. What is the other brother's name, man? He's he was a photographer. Then he had a son that started doing film. Um. Anyway, it'll come to me, man. But he, those are probably the I'm two most at prominent. I'm looking at artsy um, profile right now. Okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, very. He- but I want this Billy Holiday print screen. Probably. So Gordon Sorry, Willis, man. I think, was heavily inspired by Roy DeCarava. But anyway, um, before we get into like the specifics of the episode okay. or there are Q&A, because that's how we're going to do it. Yes. Can we please talk about the acting? <laughs> this was really good. <laughs> this. One, Ruddy had me wondering, is that white man cute? Maybe it was just Miles his voice. Teller? Maybe it was just his voice. Probably okay. just his voice. Got it. Got it. But. A good baritone voice and just like smooth, right. just level-headed collectedness right. moves me. It was very good. And it was very, it's wrong, but it's got to get right. Sorry, babe, can't go to Paris. What? <laughs> right. It was really good. It was really good. Down man. to the way other people were forming their voices, like um, Bob Evans. Oh, my God. Bob Evans. He doesn't talk on. like that. The actor does it. Right. That's what I'm saying. But like yes. just the way that he almost put a frog in his throat. Like nasally. Yeah. And, yeah. And like v- like he had a cold. Very like old timey movie studio. What you feel like a movie studio executive would sound like. Without being cheesy about it though. Yeah. It just felt very natural. It's very good. But it's spot. The thing is, is that it's spot. If you've ever seen Bob Evans talk, it is spot. Really? He's the guy that would wear like the pink tint glasses oh, with match with like a, think of like Sam Rothstein on, on uh, oh, Ace Rothstein okay. on Casino. Okay. That's Bob Evans in terms of presentation. Yeah. You know what I mean? And in, in the uh, spot on. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola, brother. Dan Fogler, I think is his name. The guy who plays Francis Ford Coppola. My God. Like, he looks like him. He does look like him. He acts like him. The mannerisms. Th- this guy had transformed into Francis Ford Coppola, man. Like, it, it, him and Puzo, even. Yeah. Oh, man. It's, it, I'm I, in love with Erica Puzo. Who? The wife. Oh, the wife. Is, oh, yeah. I love her. She said, listen to me. All yeah. that movie shit's cute. Yeah. 
When you get over there, ain't no pasta, yeah. ain't no donuts, yeah. blood oath. Yeah. I send them to you alive. I want them back alive. I want them is what back she said. alive, dog. You talk about. That's you... a wife. She said, "How much money do we owe?" Yeah, I need to know. <laughs> My man said, "We in what five large?" She said, "Damn the, the art. Go write the book." Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. Um, women like that deserve everything. Yeah. Yeah, like women like that deserve everything because she could have lost it she could have or she heard yeah. that we owe over 10 racks yeah back then that's a i mean now it's a lot of money but back then especially yeah now she said was go write the fucking book you didn't even peep she just she drunk a glass of water she didn't go to no whiskey right, she, she didn't said, go to no nothing she went I to need, water i need to be hydrated for whatever about to happen here <laughs> right. next go write that book Next morning, she's like, "Look, this is what you're gonna do with the book. Right. Here, let me feed my artistic. But I know how you roll. Let mm. me pour into you some. Because mm-hmm. she better than most. Anybody else would have cussed him out. A, a lot, a, a lot, a lot of people would have cussed him. That's out. his wife. That's how you can tell yeah. that woman was made to be his wife. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I, I really appreciate what she because clearly, clearly, without her, we would have never got the Godfather. Never. And 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 to me, that she's somebody like like I'm glad this show gives uh, that woman specifically her flowers, mm-hmm. right? In this way, because we would never get that. But that's the sacrifice that a, a good, a great behind the scenes person who's there to prop up the artist. That is what happens. You you'll prop up this figure that gets all the credit for something, and you have to be okay with never getting the credit, but knowing your contribution. Okay, and memory. That, Huh? Malcolm huh? and Marie. Malcolm and Marie? Yeah. This oh, takes me back to that. good point. To the differences in what it looks like. Good point. Yeah, because she wanted she wanted her props for that. I don't know if it was prop, but we're not going there. Okay, 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 we're not okay, going there. okay. But, um, but, but I, I know that a lot of people just, a lot of people want credit for, for what they created or what they did in, in a specific thing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But, you know, there's, you know. Credit has its place. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, but like like you said, I like that in the show at least, even if it's not overt and they're not saying she's the only reason this happened, mm-hmm. they are very specific about telling how this book happened and why. Yeah. We didn't have to know that he got beat up by a bookie. Right. He could have just woke up one morning and been arguing about a book and needed money. That's very true. But instead they told the story of him coming home beat up and his wife not walling out on him. Yeah. Of the next morning, her again not walling out was saying, Hey, maybe we could do it this way. Yeah. Maybe this could happen. And then seeing her take a dinner and her main concern not being how much are you going to pay him? How long is it going to take? I sent him to you. Yeah. Alive. Right. Bring him back to me. Bring him back alive. Alive. Low key, this show is really showing sort of the power that the women behind the scenes really, really contributed. Because that assistant? His assistant is the greatest, man. Honey, if we want to talk about what's moving this forward. Yes. Her. Yeah. For Ruddy, absolutely. Like she's the she is the strongest point for Ruddy. And then you can see that they're trying even his to his partner. Yes. She she's definitely Unless I'm missing something in two and three. Well, it starts to get a little funny. I might have to come back after your shoot today. We might have to do two and three, to be honest. I'm not mad at that. No, I'm serious. I'm not mad at okay. that. Um, not that it gets funny, but it 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 gets to a place where, you know, there's the, the way that the assistant and let me get her name right because yes, I please. I was not familiar with her Betty McCurt. Yes, Betty McCart. Excuse me, I I never heard of this. Even figure the way in my she life. decided she was gonna be an assistant proved to me why she should be the assistant. Yeah, 
Because the fact that baby just said, oh, okay. Bitch, who are you? Right. Why can't you, why did you just let her tell you you didn't get a job that you just got? Right. You, you're right. You are the assistant, not her. You're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. She was very lofty or crafty or whatever the word is. Um, she deserves all the things. And, and, then, and then the other thing that she did that was very, just shows the difference between somebody who is here for a job and somebody who this is their calling. Mm-hmm. She understood the history behind the lot. Yeah. That the behind Paramount lot. This is where they shot such and such. And was so confused as to why he wasn't mesmerized. Like Yeah. We're on hollowed ground. This is her calling. Yeah. You know, and it takes people like that to achieve missions. People again, man, you know, no disrespect to anybody who's anywhere for a paycheck. But just know there's a difference between being there for a paycheck and being there for a calling. And that's what a calling looks like. When you can when you can talk about shit from in from the inside out. Um and there are certain jobs you should be called to do. I ain't gonna hold you. Yeah. Like my job, go for a paycheck. Yeah. I go to work because they pay me. They, I trade time for money. There's nothing wrong with that. But even in like my art stuff, there's a reason that I don't really like too much working, quote unquote. Like I don't, I mean, of course I get paid for the art advisory and curation that I do, but mm. I don't, it doesn't, it's non-sequential to me. Mm-hmm. Non-consequential, excuse me. Mm. I do it because I love it. It's what I want to do. And if it ever became attached to money, it would be like a job. Mm-hmm. And it would change how I do it. Right. So. Yeah. No, Good. I talk about movies and stuff. No, please be called to do it. Because there, there you, you won't last if you're not. If you're not because you're not going to get paid in the beginning. It, well, it, and it, well, this, and it kind of shows you too, man. Like the job comes with, it comes with extra issues mm-hmm. that a paycheck just doesn't cover. Yeah. You know, like, like. Ruddy, basically, they had their lives, uh, there was an attempt somewhat on their lives. Yeah. Like a nigga shooting through the back of your window with a sawed-off shotgun could easily shoot you in the back of your head. Yes. Okay? But you have to be able to like compartmentalize that. And, and move say, the fuck on. Yeah. And understand why it happened and move the fuck on. If you there for a paycheck and a nigga shoot at the back of your head. You know what? I'm. That was my last paycheck, fam. Yeah, I ain't gonna hold you. You this know what I mean? cute. Find somebody else. Uh, the Italian said no. The Italian said <laughs> like, no. Um, I respect that decision. <laughs> in episode one, have they have they shown Al Pacino yet? No. My yo six. Don't. I we can't wait till you see Al Pacino. We'll be back later. So but, you guys are probably going to get both these episodes at the same time. Yeah, which is cool. Yeah. Um, I, I'll say this because where it seems like the show is going is they are going to get into filming. Like they right now it's. Right. You know, episode one is kind of the idea of the movie, right? From the book, you know, episode two, they start getting into, you know, what it looks like to produce it, how to get the ball rolling on Mm -hmm. it and get the parts in order. And then episode three, they start casting for it, you know, where, well, it looks like casting is going to be an, you know, probably going to span over a few episodes uh, because of the way that episode three How many episodes is this? Eight or ten? I, th- I I I hope it's ten, but I think it's only eight. They but... need to figure out a season two. I don't know what they're gonna write about. But... <laughs> Godfather two, <laughs> but uh, sure. but uh, yeah, they're they're gonna get into casting, and then I'm gonna, I imagine they're gonna get into filming as well. Mm-hmm. But they haven't gotten there yet. They've they've done casting, location scouting, script writing. Um, they're going through like permits process and things like that. Um, they cram so much into that one hour without it feeling crammed. Yes. And that was really dope. That was really dope. Because when I stopped, I was like, wait, it went from zero to the movie's about to start. Right. In an hour. Yeah. And it didn't feel rushed. It didn't feel 
like wasted time. Right. It didn't feel like they were glazing over anything. Right. Whoever wrote this particular story, whoever did this screenplay from the book, <laughs> did a really good job at translating that into a way where it felt complete and not yes. a mess. Agree. Agree. Um, uh, uh, Giovanni Ribisi that's playing Joe Colombo, mm -hmm. smoking this. Th this may be his best role ever. I thought it was supposed to be excerpts from the movie they were shooting. Yeah. Even after I realized it wasn't, I was like... But this is the Godfather, so there's no way. Like yeah. that's what I mean when I came in. I was telling him like we, we normally like have a little conversation about it before we get started, and maybe we should have this time because then we would have known that I didn't finish. <laughs> no, it's all good. Um, but I was like, no, we can't because I'm confused and I'm lost and I'm blurred. So we'll right. just save it all. Well, let's let's start there. Let's let's start with your blurriness. Well, the blurriness for me was, I guess, it's kind of cleared up, and this it's, if it's Easter eggs. Okay. But just the way that they are going about these conversations with the Italians and their disapproval of it. Mm -hmm. And I guess it could just be cultural, mm -hmm. but I was very much, is this on purpose? Because again, when the, when the show opened, mm -hmm. I literally was just like, oh, there's going to, you know, they're going to yell cut and right. then go to, and then like start the story that way. Right. And they didn't. And I was like, all right, but that's a toilet. And he went to get a gun. Right. And he came out and like the two bosses behind him. Okay, yeah. cool. That's fine. No one got shot. You know, we're going to tell a story. Right. But no, no, like all these names sound like, wow. Gambino, like I don't. Yeah. I mean, I've heard these before. Like this is not. These these are the crime families. Right. I was like, okay, you know, Joe cool. Colombo was, he had a Colombo crime family. Right. You know? I was like, like, all right, that's fine. So we move on. Um, Even down to Reddy being Jewish. Okay. Um, in The Godfather and in a lot of mafia movies usually the their anti-hero not the anti-hero of the movie okay. but their anti-hero is a Jewish person is that by design? Who Who's anti-hero? In, in what movies? I, I so in The Godfather uh -huh. Hyman, Hyman Roth uh huh is their anti-hero. He's not good. He's not bad. He's just Hyman Roth. Okay. He's I, Jewish. I, I, right? And I wouldn't say he's an anti-hero, but go but ahead. But you know what I mean? Like whoever is against them, but not really. Like you, yeah. you're against us, but we have to work with you. Right. We have to figure this out. Okay. Is that by design? Well, I think, um, I think, um, my, uh, so I think Hyman Roth represented Meyer Lansky. Okay. If you're familiar with Meyer Lansky. Not very. Tell oh, me. So he was a Jewish gangster. Okay. That ran, you know, that ran within the depths of the Italian mobs, you know, like did business with them, you know what I gotcha. mean? But he was his own, you know, like, like this, we attribute the mob shit to Italian thing, the Italian shit. So you kind of understand. I don't know how they got a monopoly on that because. Well, it's because of movies like this. See, fair. see, that's what, that, that's what they were fighting for. Like they were fighting. So when Joe Colombo and Lucchese and, and all of them. Other different kinds of white folk, we all was doing this back in the day. Like, this wasn't just the Italians. So yeah, exactly. Like, um, um, see, you haven't gotten there, but they show Nikki Barnes. Yeah. Later on. Like, like every, th this really is, so all, m most of the immigrants that have come over here, they kind of like form their own thing, you mm -hmm. know? And, and because- in service of their community, to be fair. It starts out at, in service of their community. You have The community has to be financed. Yeah. So they have to create an economy to scale. And that ha that's usually built on the backs of like things like making businesses 
pay for protection, mm -hmm. which they call, you know, extortion, <laughs> you know, right. but it's, you but know, in the beginning, it really is. We got to make sure you're okay for people around who are going to try to exploit us. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and then, it, and then, you know, it gets greedy. And then obviously when you, when you want to start siphoning um, finances from other, from other like um, cultures, that's where the drugs and things come in because mm -hmm. it's like, okay, the, you know, the blacks will buy drugs. So let's sell them the drugs yeah. to bring their money over here. You know, um, th that's just how it works. That's just how economy works. Like there you can deal with the money that you have and you can let it circulate but if you want to get more money you have to pull it in from another country that's what import importing and exporting right. is all about um so so yeah so what's what's actually happening here that's very interesting is um so to or to put a button on what you're saying the Jewish culture, the, the Jewish anti-hero yeah I mean Meyer Lansky that was Hyman Roth that was just that was just what that was, you know gotcha. what I mean? I, I think that, I think that Jewish gangsters, Italian gangsters, New York, there was just a lot of synergy there. You know? Does the guy playing Mario Puzo look like um, the guy who was actually cooking in the kitchen on The Godfather? To you, uh, Clemenza? Yeah, not really, not really. He reminds me. Of, I I really love Clemenza. He just feels uh -huh. like an uncle that you just kind of want to hang out with all the time. Right, right, right. And Mario Puzo feel, felt like that when he was cooking with Coppola. Well, I think that they were kind of sh that was the impetus for that scene. Yeah, I'm just saying in general, right. like just yeah. Mario Puzo's character, right, 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 feels like Clemenza a lot throughout. I can see that. It's like, oh, he's like a crazy old uncle. I'd love that. to hang out with. Like, I can see that. Yeah, my my auntie would make you bring her cannoli. Like, Erica Puzo is gonna tell you, hey, bring the fucking dough back. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, I can see that too. That that's a good observation. Um, I I I'll say that like learning. The relationship between Coppola and Puzo here was very fascinating because these two. You can tell just from the little bit that I saw, like, oh, this is going to be yeah, a magical thing. Well, so I, so I, I own like the um, maybe about like almost twenty years ago, fifteen in between fifteen twenty years ago. The box set. Pa Paramount released a box set mm -hmm. that had like the, like a fourth disc that had like a bunch of behind the scenes stuff. I lost that fourth disc. Oh my God. I was a kid. The, there was so much, there was so much like just nuanced uh, moments, just very intimate moments of like what it was for Francis, for, for Coppola and like Puzo putting this together. That was my only context to them. You know, I didn't know that these two guys didn't know each other before this. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay. they seem like they were like, they grew up together. Yeah. That's how it almost felt. Yeah. You know? Um, so it's a cultural thing. It is, man. And that's what they bonded over was like, yo, we're two guys, you know, seems like first generation American. Because mm -hmm. I don't know if Puzo came, I don't take it as Puzo was an immigrant. I take it as like, his parents were probably immigrants and he married you know, he, he was born in America mm -hmm. or at least was introduced to America as a child. And this, he's Italian American, you know right. what I mean? And, and, and same thing with Coppola. He's Italian American. He's not, he's first generation American. Um, but they just had that connection where it's like, you know, they both grew up under the, 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 a, a primitive Italian culture and they understood all of, all they of. They had a Nona in the kitchen all the time. The house always smelled like red gravy. There yeah. you go. There you go. And they called it red gravy. It's not it's not pasta sauce. Yeah. I learned that the hard way at an Italian friend's house. Really? I asked, I have more spaghetti sauce. And that was just not what yeah. her grandmother was like, you mean red gravy? 
marinara? It's not marinara because it's not on a meatball. Do you want red gravy? Wow. And I was like, yes, ma'am. Wow. She Interesting. Goes, it's not no, it's just saying it's spaghetti sauce, but like she lost it. And then she She's went like, crazy. What the fuck is spaghetti sauce? Yeah. Y'all kind of like, trying to Taco Bell they shit. She was not amused yeah. at all. Um, at all. She's like, and spaghetti's a noodle. You're not even having spaghetti. Mm-hmm. And I was like, sorry. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, like every new I, people know that. I'll explain that. But got it. Yeah. Um. So one of the things right off the bat that I feel like they're trying to do, and we kind of talked about it a little bit, is showing the value of empowering the women around you. Okay. If you remember, in The Godfather, that was a huge problem with Michael Corleone and Kit. Yes, Michael it was. Corleone and Kit. So even like the very first Godfather, it it ends with the door closing. On, on pre- pretty much on K, like mm-hmm. she, he was shutting her out of the business, you know, trying to compartmentalize it. The business here, family separate, and ultimately, that was kind of like that was one of the contributing factors to the Corleone Empire falling. You know what I'm saying? Because like the son didn't have any reverence for the father, right? Like the daughter did, but in the culture. It's passed down through the son. Right. The daughter had reverence for him. Because he refused to go against. Right. It died. But the son didn't because the son kind of witnessed the dissension between my mother and my father and chose my mother. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So you see what I'm saying? (laughs) So so um I kind of feel like this is this is somewhat trying to touch on that too, where it's like the difference because because Puzo's wife was empowered. You know, with her her ability to make decisions for Mario. Mm-hmm. And if you know anything about Coppola, too, you know, Coppola's wife was the same way Mario Puzo's wife is. Coppola's wife is very much the same really? way. Yeah, where she's just just very much empowered, part of the family business. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Ruddy empowering, you know, um, uh, Betty. Betty next to him. And, and, and Francoise, you know, a little bit. You know, she's starting to get a little bit more into it, too, once we get there. But. I just think it's wild because even in The Godfather, the Don didn't treat his wife like that. So it's interesting as to where Michael got that from. Because, like, right. he never treated her like that. You, you see what I'm saying? She was, well, she was the neck. You know how old women will say, you know, the man's the head of the family, but the woman is the neck. Mm-hmm. She was very much the neck, and you could tell. Right. Was she loud and boisterous and outspoken? No. But you, he also, when it was time to make a decision, you could see his eyes wander. Yeah. To his wife. Doors weren't closed on her. She got to to say it and have her peace. So it's always very weird. Like, how did Michael end up almost hating Kay the way that he did? He didn't hate Kay. So, uh, so I think there's a, a couple of things that contributed to that. And that's a really good question. A couple of things contributed to that. One, he married outside of his culture. Yes, he did. You know what so I'm saying? So he didn't trust her to understand. It, 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 and she didn't know how to move she, in it. She didn't know how to, she didn't understand it. She was yeah. a foreigner in that way. So that's number one. He married outside of his culture. Number two is Michael wasn't bought up to be a gangster. He was bought up to be a politician. He was bought up to be a politician. Yeah. So he He's em- supposed to help the family in a different way. Yeah. So him crossing over into the family business w- was jarring for himself. And he had to do a bunch of basically, I mean, think about it. He made his bones by killing Salasso and McCluskey, mm-hmm. right? Um. And then he he basically had to flee to Italy for, uh, you know, he had to get off the Where map. he found Apollonia, who would have been a great wife. He, she would have been the perfect wife. However. They got her up out of here. The Bardzini's got her up out of here. They got her up out of here. Poor baby. You know what I'm saying? She's going to learn how to drive. 
So, and then he comes back to America and finds Kay, you know, the comfort. So, number one, he married outside of his culture. That's not a, that's not a dig. That's not a, that's just. The reality of That's it. the reality. It's the reality. Is that but I don't know how to move inside your culture. There you go. And if you don't have time to teach him, you might be screwed. Right. <laughs> and, um, and then two, he just didn't, he, he, he just didn't understand how to move as a, he didn't understand the strength in having an Italian wife in those particular places because he wasn't bought up for that. Like yeah. it, and then the third portion of it, which to me ultimately is what the whole movie is all about, is that he didn't have to get it out the mud. See, Vito got it out the mud mm-hmm. and he built it up with his wife. Mm-hmm. You know, the scene. Very true. You know what I'm saying? Because when you get in a Godfather 2 and watch like how all of that happened. Yeah. Yeah. So she he, earned her right to do all these things. She earned her right to be how there. Da- how dare would he ever tell her after it? Yeah. Mm. yeah. He knows that yeah. she she came, she went through the poor periods with him. Yeah. When he got when he got fired from the butcher shop and had to bring home a, and bought home a pear for her. Right. That scene was so that's so endearing. He bought home a pear for her and she was so appreciative. Oh my God, what right. a beautiful pear. Right. You know, it's and things she made dinner. Right. <laughs> it's things like that that and, and this is just a jewel, I think. For, for men and women, man, because I like social media culture has people would look at how Mario Puzo's wife is or how Vito Corleone's wife is, and they would be like, oh, this is what you think about women in the kitchen and this and that and, then, and, then, and all of that. And it's like, man, you're discounting what they bring to this. Right. Like, because keeping the home of a certain aesthetic and a certain feel so that way that man can come not not because it's not a man or a woman thing but if there's somebody that's keeping the home properly so that way the person who is out there shaking and moving amongst the world has a place of solace to strategize and to make solid decisions and bounce them off that is valuable there's nothing wrong with that you know but you know i used to have a really like big issue with the word submission in general Mm -hmm. and i was dating this guy years ago who was probably the first adulty adult Mm -hmm. that i had dated right we were around the same age but he had just lived a much different life than i did right um and we were not arguing but having an adult conversation about submission and why and what it means Mm mm-hmm and he was like, submission isn't you doing whatever I tell you to do. He's like, that's not submission. Right. He was like, I should be in a punk and I want you to be a punk. Right. He was like, submission is you doing your job and me doing mine. And you never having to do mine and I never have to do yours in case something happens. Right. He's like, so if my job is to take out the trash while you clean up, if I'm taking out the trash, I don't have to clean up. Yeah. He goes, but also if my job is to bring money to the house and your job is to keep it clean. Yeah. I don't want to, like you said, I don't want to come home and be distracted by a dirty house yeah. and be distracted by stuff looking crazy. If it's my job to go make sure you have what you need and if you're getting what you need, that should be the trade-off. Yeah. So it's not about doing whatever I say. It's about we all have a job here. Like This is what makes this ecosystem keep going. Yeah. Your home is a universe in and of itself. And how it keeps spinning and going is everyone doing the job they've been meted out. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's, that's I think people forget the value in that. That is dog. That's the jewel. Yeah, you know, but and, it's, and our job be easier sometimes, bro. <laughs> I, I, you know, <laughs> we're not here talking about that. I, we, we not, but you know, but but also in talking about that, we do have to talk about the history of Black America. Yeah, you know what I'm saying because th- some of those things were purposefully disjointed. You know the the you know crack broke up homes you yeah. know what i mean it broke up homes you know like you, you know um when we talk about welfare and receiving assistance the uh, man had to be outside had the house. to be outside the house i didn't realize until yesterday i was reading some i think it was on twitter and it led to like a an article or something like that after the war was the first time that black women 
in mass were able to stay home uh-huh. and raise their children uh-huh. and affordably. Like it wasn't like a, a burden. Okay. Their husbands were at war, they're coming back or they retired. They had they had money for a stay at home wife. Right. Insert that at least five cities passed laws where black women had to work outside of the house because it stopped too many service jobs. Dog, let me tell you something. If you <laughs> like, if anybody who's listening to this, and I don't I don't want to make this a black economics thing, because I, I think there's just it's just important to understand that there are things that happen specifically to black people. To to black people, you know, and then and then to um not just us as a whole, but then the dissension between men and women within mm-hmm. our culture. Like there's a purposeful cultural divide. Like um I encourage anybody to read Black Labor, White Wealth. Mm. It's a book by Dr. Claude Anderson that really just gets you to understand that like um, even the idea, and, and there's nothing wrong with this. So again, me, I, I was raised by a, a, a brilliant Black woman who was in the military, mm-hmm. a single mother. Mm-hmm. Didn't meet my father till I was 26. Okay. So I went through life with a Black woman. And and in my eyes, that black woman can do everything, period. Right. Even to this day. And she's almost in her 70s. You know, um, she can do anything. Firecracker of a woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but like when you hear the stat that like black women are way more educated than white or th- th- than black men, right? Like black women are very highly educated. Mm-hmm. Even that's purposeful because because the education, right? You get these high educations. And then where do you go work? You go work for white corporations. Right. That's siphoning money out. See, like the divide between the black man and the black woman is in service of, quote unquote, whiteness. Right. You know, and and, and I'm, I don't walk around wearing a kufi. This, this ain't about that. I'm just talking about the facts. Right. Like, no, because I have a lot of white friends that I fuck with heavy. What's that mean? Heavy. Huh? What, does that, what does that mean, though? I've, I've learned that my white friend, I, believe it or not, I do have friends who yeah. happen to be white. Yeah. Um. And they feel how I feel. Yes. So like a fact is a fact. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. I hate, not I hate, but I'm, I'm always cognizant of telling people when they feel the need to say, oh, you know, I'm doing this, but like, it's not that I hate white people. No, a fact is a fact. It's not about hating anything. Yeah, but well, a fact, see facts, we're in a place now where facts get challenged. Where the facts get, like when somebody says a fact, then there, there's like, there is a, I don't want to get into it, but gender. Yeah. When, you, when you say gender is a fact, it turns into a whole nother thing. Yeah. To me, it makes sense, but whatever. I, like, I'm not here. I can't advocate nor try to. Listen, I don't stand in the way of those issues because I don't understand that. Right. I understand what I understand. Right. I don't. And my job is to, when I don't understand, is not to stand in the way. Right. That's it. So, so I have to say that because if you're speaking about whiteness, a lot of people can perceive that as like, oh, this nigga hate white people. Whiteness and white people are not the same. Whiteness is a system. It is a construct. It is. That white people usually benefit, well, not even usually, benefit from. Yeah. And you you can't not benefit from it. Yeah. Your job is just what I look for in people who who are white to be around me. I don't know what your job is, but Mm. a fact is a fact. Yeah, fact is a fact. If you'd like to challenge it, well, that's your business and Mm. you're going to do it over there. Like, I don't... Mm. And, and and the fact is, is that, you know, there has been, it's been a bigger uphill challenge for blackness to get to where whiteness has, because whiteness has had a uh, 400 head year yeah. head, you know, 300 plus year head start. Which is crazy blackness. to think about because 
in America. I right, just because we was whipping their ass for a thousand years, just a couple millennia. Well, we had a beat in America. No, yeah. uh, that you know that's you what next. it is, and and you know, and that's why the conversation of reparations exists. I know a lot of people don't like it. A lot of people feel like, oh, you know, giving you something or giving you an equal opportunity. It, it it does. Everything doesn't have to benefit everybody. It, but it is like it is a competitive thing. Like race is competitive. That's the word race is. Comp- if we get outside and start running, it's a race, <laughs> right? And I'm I'm trying to beat your ass, yeah. right? The word race is competitive, right? And and I think that gets misconstrued too. You know, somebody calling me a nigger is not quote unquote racist. It ain't racist until you start to do something to stop me from earning a living or to try to suppress me. That's when it becomes racist. I want y'all to not take that's Treasy's interpretation. And I want y'all to only apply that to Treasy. That's you you gonna take that somewhere else and get your ass beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's wrong. It's <laughs> prejudice you take for it sure. You take it across the room it, from him. It's it's kind of like it, <laughs> it's the feeling that allows racism to expand, right? Like if you don't like me as a person, if you don't like blackness, and you think that like all blackness, black people deserve to be or can be or slaves. See, that mentality, what you do behind that mentality is what really gives the word racism it's it's power. Racism is, is a systematic degradation of a people. There you right? Go. It's not. I don't like you because I don't like white folks for the most part. Mm. I can't be racist though because I'm black. So I'm prejudiced, sure. Mm. All right, but racism is a systematic degradation. Like it's not just I don't like you because no, it's no. not racist. Like, yeah. So just to kind of because we we went we are way off. We went yeah. so you say you, know. you wasn't me. Did I say we? You say you went. No, I said we went, so. Oh, I thought you said you. No, no, I think I said we. I meant to say we. If I said you as a Freudian slip, my apologies. That was me. Now it's Freud, I know. He's <laughs> a white man slip, uh-huh, see? I know. Uh, but no, but just kind of reeling that back into the Godfather. That's what Joe Colombo was fighting for. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't want, that's why the Italians were mad at the Godfathers. I don't want these negative stereotypes about who we are to be portrayed into the public. And that that went over, If that's an Easter egg to Godfather too. You know, like that, that was when Michael Corleone was dealing with Pat Geary in, the, ah, yeah. in, in, in Utah or yeah. wherever they were. I forget where they were at. Um, the that, politician, the country ass politician out there in Vegas. Yeah. That was the whole thing. Yeah, No, it was in Nevada. That's right. Because mm-hmm. of Vegas. Yeah. So, out in the sticks of right. Nevada. Yeah. But it was um, about them going to Vegas. And it was about Pat Geary's perception of Italian culture. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why when you got into the, when you got, when they got into the, the hearing, you know, Pat Geary went on a. They're fine people. Exactly, because because that whole thing happened. At I've the, uh, known several of the Italians. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was a good impression. See, you know, I'll side by side. It falls apart, but I'll, I'll I know. whatever. I know. Um, so that's what Joe Colombo and the I forget what he called it. it was like the Italian Civic League or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. That's what it was fighting for. Okay, you know, fighting for, um, the prejudice. And the the stereotypes that they want to deconstruct about Italian culture that made sense to me. Yeah, I just think it there is an irony in it. <laughs> okay, talk 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 about it. There is an irony in sending the and it's cultural, uh-huh. right? Because there are just some things, even in Black culture, you know, there's certain things that we do get a point across that don't really mean nothing mm-hmm. until it means something. Okay, speak like speak more specifically if you can. Um, sending a funeral wreath. Mm-hmm. And a letter that says, I hope you can put it into this mm-hmm. in an effort to end negative stereotypes mm-hmm. about your culture mm-hmm. being told mm-hmm. feels more like you want it to remain a secret 
then you want it to be curbed. Of course. Of course. But, so there's but, an irony in it for me as a, as a watcher. Yeah. It's like, oh, so you're not saying this is wrong. You're just saying it's supposed to be a secret. Yeah. That, no, it's a secret society. All we ask yeah, is trust. La Cosa Nostra. It's this like, thing of ours. Everybody's not supposed to know about it. It's really ironic to see them like, but y'all know that you're just kind of like That's the proving. thing. Because there wasn't a conversation that followed, right? Like it wasn't like a no one went to dinner or tea to to discuss this, right? There was there was no offer that you can't refuse. It was a sawed off shotgun to the back of your vehicle. Yeah, and I was like, huh, I don't know if that was that's the best way to to curb that, but right. I guess we'll see. But (laughs) you know, I mean, obviously, it clearly didn't stop anything. And I knew that. And again, you had told me before about how people didn't want this movie to happen. I didn't realize the extent of I knew the show was about the what they went through to make the movie happen. Yeah. At worst, I thought it was like budget issues and not being able to afford out. Right, right. I didn't realize that the actual mob was mm. like, hey, don't do this. Yeah. 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 I did not know that's what I was walking into. Yeah. So did which again made made it blurry, but you explained it just being a cultural like trying to show the cultural links. But yeah, that's part of why it was so blurry to me. I was like, which story are they telling? So in in this episode, in episode one, did you see the meeting between Ruddy and the congressman uh, Biagi? Did that happen in this episode no. where where he flew to New York to talk to? He flew to New York one time to talk about. To, to George Weston is all I saw. George Weston. Uh, what? Glove. Where was where was the Austrian? Oh, oh Golf and Western. Golf and Western. George yeah, yeah, Weston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But he, but you That's didn't see. That's the only him. flight to New York I've seen. You didn't see him talk to the congressman. No. Okay, so that must be an episode. We'll be too. back later. So we, no, we have to talk about that. Yeah. Because I really am gonna finish this while you're shooting. Okay. Yeah. Because the, because what's happening here is like. What's happening here is what happened in The Godfather to some degree. Do you remember the meeting with Salazzo and Corleone? Yeah. When when Salazzo came and basically said, I want a million dollars in finance from the Corleone family to help me basically manufacture poppy and the heroin and to bring, yep. bring drugs. And they look where I do the drug thing. Right. Essentially, that's what it seems like this show is about, right? Don Corleone... Don Corleone, excuse me, because he he made it clear yeah. that like you don't pronounce the did he just pronounce Colony Corleone. Um, Don Corleone saw how drugs was going to be problematic for the Italian culture, mm-hmm. and how it was erosive. And he said, "Absolutely, the fuck not." Right, in a nice way. Yeah. Salazzo <laughs> represents progress. You know, it's 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 new regime, old regime, right? That's kind of what's happening here is like where the Italian mafia is like Don Corleone and saying like, this movie is going to erode Italian culture. And you got Ruddy, who's basically Salazzo, saying. It's going to make a lot of money. Listen, this is going to happen. Yeah. It's going to happen. You know what I mean? It's going to happen. Like, I'm, I'm, I have been empowered financially to make sure that this happens. Mm-hmm. So. You know, it's it's the idea of preservation up against the idea of progress and what that looks like. And what wins. And what wins. Um, 
give me some more questions that you have for this episode or some things that stuck out to you. If I'm being honest, a lot of it was just about like the blurry lines between the movie and the show. Okay. Um, but that being explained, not explained away, but talked about just being a culturally showing. Um, Bob Evans, does his um, womanizing become a thing? I don't it know. It feels like it can be problematic. I don't know. That's okay. a, that's a good question. Uh, maybe I want to put it. I feel like that could probably probably become problematic. There were women on set. Yeah. <laughs> so to be clear, like my knowledge about The Godfather really extends to everything in the, in that four box set. Okay. Right. So one, two, and three, I know them like the back of my hands. Mm-hmm. And then the disc that kind of broke down, it was kind of like a vignette documentary about how they made it. Okay. When so it, when it comes to like things that ha- like. When it comes to like all these nuances of what's happening, this stuff is kind of new to me. So maybe people who haven't seen The Godfather as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the book is huge. My father owns like four copies of this book. Wow. I have no idea why he has so many copies of the same book, but he does. Right. And they're all paperback. Like he bought like a couple hardback and knew it. No, they're just all whatever. But they're right. all like eight inches thick. Um, Pause. It's a book. <laughs> <laughs> I just felt appropriate. Go ahead. Jesus, go ahead. Um, what is what was the process like, or how does? I wonder if they're going to get into how it became one, two, and three. I think I feel like that that happened because of the success of of one. So, the Godfather, know, the book is just one. That's a good question. No, I actually. That's what I mean. Like, I wonder if they get into that, right? Because it feels like the Godfather yeah. one and two do not feel appropriate without watching them together to me. And you need to watch two first. Y- you know what? I think there is only a one Godfather, and then the rest of the movies. I think I could. I mean, be I wrong. guess that can make sense because number two is the prequel. Yeah, or or everything that happened in one, two, and three happened all in the one book. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Okay. Yeah, that's a possibility. Because when people who haven't seen The Godfather want to watch it with me, I make them watch two first. Why? Because that's the natural order of things. No, it's not. It just makes more sense. You know, um, you understand the dawn better. I think A and E does this. Some one some television program does this where they actually show The Godfather in chronological order. So it starts with Don Corleone mm-hmm. in in Corleone, Sicily, um. And then, like, it, it'll break everything, away. Everything happens sequentially. So you see all the stuff with him as a kid, him as an immigrant, you know, him getting his bones to like him being the Don. Like, it just shows the movie in order, mm-hmm. as opposed to like, you know, jumping back and forth in part two. And yeah, and um, I've never seen it. I've never experienced it that way. But that's probably really good. But yeah, why would you show somebody two first? Only to understand the Don better. It's the beginning. Okay, that that makes that that makes somewhat sense, but then it's the you, beginning you're, you're of the gonna, story. You're going to get confused at the Michael parts, though. You do, you do get confused at the Michael parts, but you just if you're watching it with me, I just explain it, and it's not hard once you go back and watch the first one. It makes more sense, and everyone can make it through the second one. The second one is not hard to get into or stay attached. Which to. one's better to you, first or the second? I'm not pitting two bad bitches against each other. What I will <laughs> say is to. the third one is optional at all times. Yeah, I have to watch that. Once I watch one, I have to watch two and three. Mm-hmm. So I have to see three once I watch two. The third one's optional at the, all times. The third one is definitely the weakest out of the series. They tried to be, too, if I'm being honest, uh-huh. the third one, they tried to be too hip. 
They tried to be too in the now. It was too up to date. Like, I'm not here for this. Right. I'm not here for this. Why you got this white and gold shit? What the fuck is this? Right. All that stands out is Michael Corleone in that white and gold jacket. Like, you like a fucking clown. Uh, but okay. I don't give a fuck whose baptism it is. Yeah. You like a fucking clown. <laughs> you know what's funny is uh, before Puzo died, um, him and uh, from what I understand, him and Coppola were talking about doing a fourth one. It was supposed to be. It was supposed to be the childhood, the childhoods of Michael, Sonny, and Fredo. That so, I would have watched. That would have been very interesting. But the third one, it's like the fifth season of Martin. The third one should have been good. It should have, but it was not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It simply yeah. was not. You watch it because you feel an obligation, not because it's good. Yeah. I desire to watch the second one. W- what it stood for was great, though. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, just this. Yeah, you reference that one a lot. To it's not your jam, but you do reference it a lot. Well, in regular see, conversation, it, it is my jam. See, to, to me, the saga is one organism. Mm. It's it's hard. I separate them only because They're we got to talk about it in this, yeah. you know distinction. Um. And even though I asked you which one do you like better, one or two, to me it is a saga. I I do enjoy one, you know, more than two, but I love two like very like I'm excited about all of it. I enjoy two more than one, but okay. I'm always I've never watched them separately. Right. It's all they're always watched together for me. Got it. And then I just never watched the third one. Yeah. See, see, for me it has to complete because that is that shows you. It it just shows you so much. the The way that Michael Corleone died was so much different than how Vito died, even mm-hmm. though it was similar circumstances. You know that you know when when Vito died, every you know he was in the backyard with his grandson. Eating the, the the garden was green and luxurious, eating Peace. an orange. It was beaut. It was vibrant. Mm-hmm. There was resource. Mm-hmm. Right when Michael died, he died in Italy. No shrubbery around. A, a a dog who was like malnourished, you know. There was it was a, if you put the two images side by side of how these two two he guys died, it. he, he ru- took it back to the to where it was in the beginning. All the progress that was made, you ruined it. You ruined it all, greed. you know. And that and that's what the, and that's what the saga is about is about the difference between somebody who has to build it and somebody who inherits it, who mm-hmm. inherits it, and how they just don't have a connection to. The re the, to what it took to make it happen to maintain you know um you know he wasn't given the, but he wasn't given the proper instruction too right. because the don specifically raised him to be to help know, in a different way to help in a different way in the, it was in the supposed politics. to be sunny but sunny ended up a fucking yeah jackass and then and then fucking you know, abusive right that's a huge problem sunny was a hothead yeah. you know he didn't and again that goes back to just the way that the don handled women. Because back then, it, mm. I don't want to say it was okay to beat your way, okay. but. The Don never raised a finger at his no, wife. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is no one really ever got, quote unquote, punished for beating their wife, right? right? And like in families and shit. Okay. But his family was not having it. Whose family? Sonny's. Okay. His family was like, you can't beat on your wife, bro. Like, what? Oh, you yeah. Doing? You're not going to beat on my sister. That's what not, I'm saying. You're not going to beat on Connie. You're talking about, what, yeah, when he had the. No, put, no, I'm talking about both Carlo ways because Sonny was abusive as well. No, Sonny never beat his wife. Am I confusing? He, he cheated on his wife. 
mad times. I'm confusing him going to beat up Connie's husband. Yeah, he whooped, that's what I'm he whooped, he whooped Carlo because Carlo was beating yeah. on his sister. Yeah, but yeah, he cheated on his wife. That's how yeah. he got. That's how he, his son. He was Vincent. upstairs at the fucking wedding. Wow. With wow. baby in that lavender dress against the door. You right. Yeah. So that was his downfall is he, he right. wasn't loyal to his woman. And that. That's what I'm saying. Listen to me. Um, if a man cannot be loyal to the woman he sleeps next to every night, mm. there's no way he can be loyal to anybody else. That woman watches you wake up. She watches mm. you go to sleep. She eats with you. She hangs out with you. She knows all of your inner and outer being. That's a bar. And you cannot be loyal to her. That's you are incapable of being loyal to anyone else. To your friends, to a job, to your family, to anybody. That's a bar. Because you chose this woman to share life with and you can't be loyal to her. That's a bar. You're not a loyal person in general. That's all that means. There's there's no change in my mind on that. There's a lot of things that people do they don't realize says a lot mm-hmm. about the character that they are, you know. And you get to this place, you know, I, I'm sure there's things that I do that that people will be like, oh, this nigga's. Also, know. also, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you just get to this place in life where I know for me, I don't know how you're at with this. I just, um, it's, I'm in the information, I'm in the databasing phase in life, right? When things happen, it's not necessarily to call them out. It's not to be like vocal about it. It's to say, oh, I'm going to database this particular incident with this particular person. I can classify it as this. Because if I ever need to go back in my database, I know how it's going to be handled. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm not really into the straightening people out, like telling them about themselves. I'm not really into that. Yeah. You know, I'm just into the database and face. Because I, because you're going to learn the lesson when you decide you want to learn the lesson. It ain't going to be because of me. I think I'm starting to get there. I think I'm I'm in the phase where it's who you are. Okay, I'm going to treat you just like that then. Yeah. Maybe I'll get to databasing later. But now it's like, oh, you do this? Okay, I'll treat you like that. Yeah. Oh, this is the purpose that you serve? Okay, that's what I'll take from you then. Well, no, that's databasing like, though. I mean, that, that is databasing. Then yeah. yeah. Like, like you said, there's no point in screaming and hollering. I'm here. Because for me, it's you're going to make a choice, right? Mm-hmm. Here's, what, here's what happens. You're going to cry or you're going to stay. Mm-hmm. Can't do both. Can't do both. Right? Like you're mm-hmm. going to say, this person did this. It's, it's always your, everything is your fault. Yeah. Everything. Everything is your fault. Even, don't get me wrong, people do shitty things to you. But if it happens more than once, mm-hmm. it's something. It's a choice. Right. Yeah. Because you have a choice and you chose something else. Now I get choices can be hard. I'm not talking about extremes. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying in general, if someone is treating you poorly, even in friendship, and you're like, oh, well, you know, whatever, like they do A, B, and C, then you're saying it's okay. Yeah. It's okay to make that trade off. And it might be, but that's your decision. You've made the choice. You can also make the choice to remove yourself. Right. Um, it doesn't really matter what other people, I don't. Spend a lot of time worrying about how someone's going to react or what people are going to do anymore because mm-hmm. I know exactly what I will do in every situation. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, if you're going to do A, B, and C, I know how I'm going to respond to that. So maybe I am in databasing. Right. Where it's, yeah. I know this. So if such and such happens, yeah. I know what I need to do. That's so. it. No, you data, for sure, that's databasing. Information gathering is the is just the best tool on earth, man. It's, it's a survival skill. That's why I don't understand, like, um, when people, like, people talk about, like, people shouldn't have labels and stereotypes and this and that. Yes, they should. It's like, well, that's kind of a basic instinct. It's necessary for survival. Yeah. If I know some if I if I know a lion's a lion. Eat every so, mushroom you see there. There you go. You Eat got, every mushroom you see. You gotta classify things, man. Uh, yeah, it it may not be of course the person who's being classified doesn't want to hear it. 
I don't, I mean, there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of things that people think about me. I'm sure that like, I don't want to hear that shit. But if that services you, honey, then but if, if that's how you survive and navigate the world. I can't, you know, I can't be mad at that. Cause, cause I don't and pay if it's bills. true. If it's true. That's the other part. If the shit is real. Like it's real. If you said, Hey, you know, Nikki does A, B and C. Well, do I? Yeah. Okay. Well, All right. I don't like hearing that, but, yeah, but I'll be doing that. It's so. real. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it's real. Um yeah, so I, I think I think uh there is a huge they're showing a huge difference between the, the the behind the scenes, the making of it, and the actual movie is that like you gotta empower. You gotta have a certain sense of empowerment to the to the people that are in your corner. You have mm-hmm. to give them the space to grow. This was this was Franklin's downfall and snowfall. Yep. You know what I'm saying? He, you know, him not giving, you know, Louis this once he saw that Louis is somebody who can do things on he her own. You should have groomed that in season two. You gotta empower that. Yeah. Because if you don't, you're just grooming it to be your competition. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You're grooming it to be an op. Um, so yeah, so you know, all these guys empowering these women around them, and or not just the women, just the people that are behind the scenes in general, uh, empowering those people around them. Is going to help them flourish. Obviously, the movie got made. Yeah, you know. So, uh, so, but that was just something that the brothers didn't do in the movie. But even know? just the women, right? Like, and this is a prime example. Women can move in a way that men can't. Period. In life, like just. Well, there are spaces we can get into, conversations we can have, things that we can do. Yeah. That y'all simply just can't. We just can't. And vice versa, but that's why both are needed. But. That's why it's important to empower the woman around you. Yeah. She can get at something you cannot reach. Right? Period. And and that I feel like see that's what I'm saying. We're in a weird place. I feel like me agreeing with that somebody's going somebody gets offended by it. Why? Because there's some people that like um because there's some people that I don't know, man. I don't know why they do. I don't cuz I don't get offended what by it. What is the offense? So. Why do you think they'd be offended, I guess? Um What is offensive about that? Say women are capable of doing things that men can't. Yeah, because because if you say that in another way, it sounds like it sounds like oppression. Well, men are capable of doing things that women can't. But if but when when it's said that way, it sounds like oppression to some people. You see what I'm saying? Like I like I don't identify with it, so I'm not the person that that can answer that question. I'm just saying that like that, that's what I hate about where we're at. Common statements have to exist. Yeah, but see, and I I want people to stop believing that the end of oppression is the op- option and opportunity to oppress someone else. Because mm. a lot of you don't want to be free; you just want your chance of holding the whip. And that's talk about it. That's not a thing. Um, talk about that's, it. That's not something that. What's I'm, the word for that? When somebody just like they just want to be offended to, uh, like they just want their chance to be empowered. I don't know. And to be oppressive. I don't know. There's just got to be a very clear, concise word for that. Tinder? I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but yeah, man. Uh, it's, yeah, it, I don't, I'm not talking to people. I don't ever care. Mm-hmm. It, w- yes, women can do things that men cannot, like, you know, breastfeed and shit. Mm-hmm. Like, and men can pee standing up, bro. Like, I don't, what do you want to do? Like, it's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. thing. Who was Robert Redford supposed to play in this? Was he supposed to play Michael? Yeah. Is that what they Imagined. were? That it wouldn't it, it wouldn't have been the same movie. Imagine fucking Robert Redford. Robert Redford. It wouldn't have been the same. I even feel a certain ass. way about Jimmy Kahn playing Sonny. You know, even though he did an amazing job, like could have been someone else. Uh, I, I feel like there could have been a better choice, but 
but it's cool. But yeah, I thought it was funny seeing that they that they went after Robert Redford in his junk. Fucking Robert Redford. Um, Imagine. I cannot. A blonde, blue eyed. Yeah, I cannot wait till you. Get, but there are, in all fairness, there are blonde hair, there are Italians. There are, but I mean? not in my mafia. <laughs> not right. Not in my mafia. <laughs> not in your colorist mafia. Yeah, not at all. What? No. What? Oh, Hitler I cannot it. wait till you get to where they start introducing Al Pacino. The kid who played Al Pacino smoked. He does Al Pacino better than Al Pacino. Like that's really how, better I than cannot, you. No, not better than me. <laughs> no, nobody does Al Pacino. But see, well, but I do. I do a seasoned Al Pacino. I do oh, like. Okay. See, he's doing. You know, Godfather. He's doing the young Al Pacino. Godfather was like one of Al Pacino's first film debuts. Mm-hmm. Right. He was. He was a Broadway star, off Broadway star before. Really. Al Pacino's a theater kid. I did not know that. Yeah, he's a theater guy. Like. um yeah, at, like the screen, we know him because of where we were. I was born in 81. Yeah. So by the time I got to this world, he was already he was already in that direction, right? By the time you got into this world, I mean, he had already done Scarface. Yeah. He, you know, he had done all of like the big things that made him Who he was. this yeah. figure. You know what I mean? But yeah. He was already a force when I was born. Yeah. In the 60s. Which is why I guess I don't know anything about his theater because- yeah. He was fucking Tony Montana by the time I got here. Right. <laughs> like, but if you even go back and watch um the you know the movies that he directed, like he did a movie called uh, Richard the Third, I believe. Heard of it. It's on my list. If you watch it, the movie feels like a stage play. If, really? It, yeah, it's 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 a film, but it's written and it's presented because it's like a axe. one it's like a one location film. Mm-hmm. It's presented like a Broadway film. Okay. You know, so you could tell his passion is theater. Okay. Like, you know, um films is just it's just a scalable version of theater. Um, but yeah, when so when they find Al Pacino, when they go to cast Al Pacino and they're looking for him, you know, they're like the theater kid, <laughs> you know, like, you know, this was like his breakout thing. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's hard to imagine. It's hard it to imagine. But yeah, this was his breakout thing. I was born again, I was born in eighty nine. He's yeah. a movie star. Exactly. Like so, the movie star. Like he's Al Pacino. He's Al Pacino. That's the only way we know him. But yeah, man. Uh, so I just can't wait till you get to that part because yeah. the kid who played him smoked it. What time are we going to be done recording? <laughs> done recording? Today? No, no, no. Done um, with your shoot. Oh, uh, I'll, I'll probably be done like around seven o'clock the okay. night, something like that. Yeah. Um, Might have to skate back over here. Yeah. Or, or or maybe tomorrow. Okay. Or maybe tomorrow because we'll I got talk. some things that I, yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk. Um, but yeah, and when you do, we'll do two and three. Yeah. Um. I didn't even realize that episodes two and three were right after. Yeah. And I didn't look where I was like, oh, we're doing them one at a time. So, right. so uh, I like Bob Evans' character. Obviously, he's the executive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he runs he runs Paramount, the studio side, and then Golf and Western. He wears that's good what, suits. <laughs> he's a very fashionable brother, man. Right. Uh, he's, he was, so, have you ever seen Chinatown? Mm-mm. Oh, Chinatown's one of those one six. That's probably another one of my favorite pa- Paramount films uh, that comes out of this era with Jack Nicholson. Okay. Uh, but it's basically like a crime noir. Um, but, you know, Bob Evans produced that as well. Okay. Um, so I, I'd seen a couple of, one or two like little documentaries about Chinatown. So you get a chance to see Bob Evans speak in real life. Mm-hmm. And it's like. Just man, like that? It's spot on. It's spot on. Matthew Good did an amazing job as Bob Evans. Um, uh, but yeah, man, he he has that. You know, he's the executive, obviously. You know, he's in charge of making sure that the film side is profitable. 
Um, then you got, uh, you know, Charles Bloodhorn, uh, Bloodhorn. I don't know how to, I can't pronounce it properly, but you know, he's the CEO over golf and Western who apparently owns Paramount. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's the structure there. Then you got the guy, Barry Lamp, uh, uh, Lampetus, who's basically like, I would say maybe like the CFO of golf and Western. That's what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. He's the one that's nitpicking the money. So obviously he's he, a hater. He's just a hater. So he's, he's at mad, odds with Bob. No he's a fucking hater. He's not smooth, right? He needs some buns. That's all. That's all it is. Uh, I'm trying to think from a structural standpoint. Who else is there to? I really identify with Ruddy, man. Like I, I, I like this that, guy. Yeah. Because that's what I do. That's what my profession is. What Ruddy does is what my profession is. Mm-hmm. You know where it's like, and it, mine's a little bit different though because like I. A lot of these things, how I made my bones as a filmmaker, I came up through like the editing, like editing and like videography, cinematography, you know, directing. So I kind of like, I, I worked from the ground floor of editing itself. And that's how I worked my, okay. you know, worked my way through it. So like there is, and then now even like with podcasting ha, has like strengthened my muscle in sound, right? And understanding sound. Mm-hmm. Very important to a film that you don't think about. Yeah. A lot of the things that I do are like these sort of like ancillary jobs to help me understand producing better because part, a big part of producing is putting the team together. He's, he's the front office. You know, when you think about it in terms of sports, he's the guy that's like, you know, he's the one that's like bringing in, drafting all these players from different directions to take the team to the championship. Okay. So you have to understand personalities. You have to understand and be able to assess people's abilities. You have to you have to really understand potential, and you have to understand potential more than anything. Yeah, that's the what number one. What can you one. bring out of them? Not what they what not what do they already have? But yeah. what can you bring out of them too? And you have to understand what their threshold is because some people are talented, but the talent that you see is all they're capable of. Mm. You know, you have to understand thresholds, man. There's a lot of like soft skills that cannot be taught in school. That you have to have for producing. And and more than anything, you know, and I think what they show at Ruddy's character is that you have to have, you have to understand diplomacy. Yeah. You have to know when it's okay to take the tongue lashing and you have to know when it's, when it's proper to give it. And you have to be comfortable in both sides of it, right? Like. You know, you can't just be, you can't be a pushover. You can't be a runover and you have to be confident in the things that you're confident in. Confident enough to say, I don't, I'm not actually going to ask. I'm going to pull up on you, by yeah. the way. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I said no. I know. Yeah. But here we are. Yeah. Why? Right. I don't agree with you. Right. <laughs> I don't agree with your no. Yeah. Why? There's a, there's a couple of bars he hits too, man, with like, with, I don't know if it happened in this first episode where he's talking to Coppola and he's like, listen. If I'm asking you for something, I need you to trust that it's for a reason. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need questions. Like, the same way when you ask me to do something, you have to trust that I'm going to handle it, right? Like, so if you tell me that you need two more months to finish this thing, I'm going to fucking fight for your two months. But because I'm doing my job, you better give me, you better deliver because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm getting my ass on a string somewhere else behind your request and you don't understand it because you don't see the full playing field you're not supposed to and that's cool but when you tell me that this is what it is 
I need you to, to fucking and yeah. it needs to be that, bro. Because I'm 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 going to bat for you and I'm the one that's gonna get my head chopped off if it don't happen, not you. You know, you still gonna be able to be here complaining about the shit. Right. You know what I mean? And so those are the type of relationships that you gotta build as a producer, which is like, um, I'm I'm gonna go to war for you. But because of because of that, like I need you to fucking just pull your weight. Mm-hmm. I need you to pull your weight. A, a, a really good movie with Al Pacino in it that really gives another perspective of like the producer, the, the the sort of producer delivery ecosystem is this movie called The Insider. I feel like I've heard of that. It's about it's about Big Tobacco, a scientist that worked for a Big Tobacco company basically gets fired, and he goes to war with Big Tobacco, exposing. The fact that nicotine is addictive. Oh, I have heard of that and didn't watch it because I saw the synopsis. I was like, I don't want to watch this. It is one of the most gangster films. Really? That has not one lick of violence in it. It's a Michael Mann film. It's called The Insider. Is it like the movie Thank You for Smoking? I've never seen Thank You for Smoking, but probably. Thank You for Smoking is kind of the same. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, but, but Al Pacino plays um, a 60 Minutes producer that basically the guy who got the scientist to talk on 60 minutes about it mm-hmm. but as a producer his name is uh manuel something so I, I i forget but as a producer basically he had to navigate the legal ramifications of this man speaking he had to fight against you know i think cbs is who owns 60 minutes so he had to fight against the cbs executives about what was happening because because they didn't really understand why this was so important um and then he had to manage the actual scientist who was speaking because the guy was a very like um just very a hot-headed guy yeah you know so he had to like navigate and negotiate all these territories around him in order to keep a centered balance on what they were trying to do so it is like he was fighting everything off of a lot of different directions so it's an is it a it is a brilliant film Okay. The Insider. If you ever get a chance to watch it. It's okay. a, it's, I feel like it's streaming somewhere. It's a smooth two and a half hours long, but it's a really good oh, wow. one. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think, man. Is there anything else that we can really discuss here? I mean. No, I think that's it. I think, again, I think I might have mucked it up not watching two and three. That's all good. Because yeah. we're going to get to it. It just gives us more content for yeah. the people. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I'm okay. I'm, I'm cool with it. I appreciate you. Yeah. Um. But yeah, man. Like. I cannot explain to y'all. He's so excited. I cannot explain to y'all the joy. I think that maybe the only other person on earth that might understand me is right Alexandra. Now is Alexandra. I'm going to hit her up and see if she want to be on the show. Alexandra, if you're listening, we need you. I need you on this show, bro. For like, I'll take a whole hiatus too. Let's let y'all have it. No, we need you here too. Uh-uh. Like to, to ask the questions that we're too close to see. Oh, God. You know, but, but I definitely need her for the nuanced conversations that I want to have that you know for to get her perspective about mm-hmm. um but yeah other than that man uh I, i'm i can't wait to finish this you know i can't I it's can't really wait. good yeah it's really good and, and, i don't want to say i was surprised but like i said i didn't at best i was expecting like money issues yeah like i wasn't expecting <sighs> logistical Fucking cultural that, issues. I didn't know the mafia was like, hey, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Yeah, don't <laughs> you may know. you may not want to. Um and, and and I would be remiss if 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 I didn't if I didn't give a big rest in peace shout out to Nipsey Hustle here. 
because he's another brother that I know would really enjoy this. And that how you guys kind of bonded? Yeah, that was, the that was yeah. The Godfather was was the was probably the most what not even probably that was the most of the bulk of the conversations that we had. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really about anything else, yeah. you know, like you know, and and, and I don't want to make it seem like I had this like you know, long-standing, you know, sleepover relationship right. with Nip. It wasn't that. You know, it it was a handful of times, but they were purposeful, you know, for myself. Um, they were they just purposeful and understanding somebody who I grew to be a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. And it was built off of him understanding the principle. You could just hear it in his music. He he identified with Vito Corleone. Yeah. He he he's probably made the most Godfather references I've ever heard in, in rap music. Yeah. And not just the most, he did them the right way. Mm-hmm. He did them in a way that just wasn't like I saw the previews or I understand the cultural significance. He made them to understand, for me, somebody who really understands the organism of the Godfather, to know that he has deconstructed this film. And it was a huge guide. It was a huge compass to how he moved mm-hmm. as a man. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, big rest in peace. Shout out to Nip, man, because this was right up his alley. Long live the low. Um, yeah. And uh, Fra- they really painted Frank Sinatra to be a real gangster in his joint, bro. Which I've heard, though. Yeah, I've yeah I've kind of heard that he was in bed with the mob too. Um, but I mean, he to the point where it almost seemed like the mob was marching to his orders, mm-hmm. well, which would make sense. He had the money; he, he the was money. the finances. Um, but we all know, I mean, he ain't the muscle, you know. No. But, you know, he almost got killed with a fort. What you mean? He was he was he was <laughs> Mo Green. That's, yes, you know, fucking Mo Green. Maybe he was. Probably. Well, I, I think definitely Johnny Fontaine. It's funny, man, because... That's what I thought it was about when I first watched them. Without this knowledge, yeah. I always thought Johnny Fontaine was Frank Sinatra. Yeah, I think I, th- I I think he was definitely the inspiration. You know what I yeah. mean? But, like, obviously he took it way more personal Yeah. than it, than it, than it probably was. But, yeah, I see, I see th- what this shows me, what this show shows me is that it was a combination of jo- Johnny Fontaine just in profession. And Mo Green in action. And Mo Green in terms of like arrogance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you Being know. A fucking dick. Yeah. So you know who I am? Right. I'm fucking green. I'm Mo Green. I made my bones while you were still whatever, <laughs> he said. Um, cool, man. Cool, cool, cool. Well, listen, that was episode one of the offer, Paramount Plus. Yes. Two and three <sighs> will come together. Two and three will come together. Yeah, man. Um uh, you want to give them our social six? Yes. On Instagram, we are Grams of Snow Pod. Mm-hmm. Come and say hi to us. You guys have been like really interactive lately. We appreciate you guys finding lots of new listeners. Mm-hmm. Someone just told us that we argue like first take. Uh, it took everything in me not to give them <laughs> on this mic. Um, Who skip? You skip? No. <laughs> Skip's a dickhead, by the way. Uh, he um, seems to be. Very said salacious. That, said that we argue like first take about absolutely the smallest things. And <laughs> I agree with you. Have you I don't want to do it. <laughs> if you listen to the show, you know that, yes, I feel the same way. And I don't be wanting to do it. Yeah. Um, Treasy tell me that it makes for better content. So I let him. Yep. Um, <laughs> I appreciate you letting me. <laughs> On Twitter, we are Grams of Snow. Come say hi to us. Banter back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. We appreciate you guys. Yeah, we do. We do that. Um, well, cool, man. Depending on how you listen to this pod, don't forget we still have uh 
We are simultaneously doing We Own This City, HBO Max. Another really good show. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot, there is so much good content right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even know how anybody can keep up with it. Cause That's by, why I don't really watch TV anymore. It makes me sad because I really only watch TV for this now. Yeah. Because it's just, there's too much going on. I, like, it's starting to get there for me, too. It's, I, you know, there's, like, I still haven't caught up. I'm, like, two episodes behind on Atlanta. But that's because we don't talk about have, it. Right. Haven't started it. Won't watch it. Oh, Atlanta's amazing. And then, um, and then I'm two episodes behind on Tokyo Vice, and I love Tokyo no Vice right now. Is. But we don't talk about it, so it's hard to. I'm a documentary girl, so I live my life on Amazon Prime. Mm, documentaries are really. Amazon Prime has the best documentaries. Have you they watched have so many? Do you, have you, do you plan on watching the Magic Johnson documentary? Yes, I want to watch it when it's done, though. I thought it was done. The Winning Time. No, no, that's oh. the show. There's a documentary that he has on Apple TV Plus called. Um, called they call me magic oh i would do that today so so i think it's a i think what it is is that like winning time came out and and this is or they call me magic is like a good complimentary piece okay you know it's like this gives you a lot of context and the documentary gives you like the reality of what happened Mm -hmm. and and i think it's it's highly centered on him and cookie and i think it's a four-part documentary so so you know ever since um what was the Michael Jordan one that came out? Save the Last Dance. Yeah, you know, the success oh. of Save the Last Dance probably is going to bring them all out the woodwork. I'm sorry, me. none of y'all touching that. I'm sorry. That was that was Even just for how it felt. Yeah. And it came out at the perfect time. We're all at home. Yeah. Twitter watched it as a family. Yeah. I think that people my age and younger, who, of course, we knew who Michael Jordan was. Mm-hmm. We didn't know who Michael Jordan was. Yeah, y'all didn't. I was unaware. Yeah. Um, so it was super, I became, I started watching basketball after that. Like that's how much I enjoyed that. Mm. I didn't watch basketball before that. Interesting. You yeah. seem like the type that would love basketball. No. I mean, I, no, I prefer football because it, I can follow football. Basketball moves way too fast and I can't make sense of it. Football is harder to follow than no. basketball, in my no. opinion. Well, for me, there are breaks. There's a complete beginning and end. This happens this time. This means that. In basketball, it's. Offense, defense, move this way. Everything is always constantly I get, happening. I get what you're saying. It's the, the I'm slow, the, the so possessions. I don't know how to. Yeah, like I don't know what's yeah. going on. Field goal. What the fuck? You got field goal? Like the fuck? I don't know. Right. Um. Interesting. So yeah, but not even just that. Learning who Dennis Rodman was. Now if you make one about Rodman. Right. I'm in there. Oh, Rodman jump is is going to be different because his you. his shit going to be more off the court than anything. Dennis Rodman. Yeah. Y'all can't handle y'all drugs like that no more. Stop trying to be like this, Robin. <laughs> y'all cannot handle y'all pills. So don't even try it no more. Yeah. But no, the, I think Save the Last Dance came, just came out at the perfect timing. Yeah. Not only was it really, really good, right? Um, and Michael was super involved in it. I just think that when it came out, you know, we yeah. had nothing else to do. We were, it was very early in quarantine. Yeah. It was something to do with the family. It was good. And Michael Jordan used to be fine. I didn't know that either. Yeah, he's yeah, a good looking brother, man. He used to be like, I, I'll say this, man. Um, to one thing about Save the Last Dance, I, like even though I'm glad it was like nine parts, I feel like n- it worked because we were in quarantine. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you you could have just made it a concise five, mm-hmm. and you know, so that's why I feel like th- um, they call me magic is might be a little bit more impactful. Did it come out two at a time though? Something like that. I forget how they did yeah, it. Yeah, it was two but, at a time. But yeah, but nine nine parts all in all, and, th- and this is something I want to put out into the universe because you never know who hears these things. Okay. I want to do something like that for Bubba Chuck. Okay. I want to create a series and a fucking like five part documentary for Bubba Chuck. 
one because I was born raised Hampton, Virginia, mm-hmm. and you know that's that. You know he went to Bethel. I went to Bethel. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Bubba Chuck was my. And I still love Bubba Chuck. You know what I'm saying? I still love Alan. He Iverson. makes me so proud that he's from here. There is no one who has anything bad to say about him. Yes. And every interaction you see with him is him loving on other men and speaking life into them. Well, now. He was a terror well, <laughs> early on. Well, but. Uh, again, that maybe that's a documentary. Yeah. But the Bubba Chuck that we know now, right? every time you see him, he is hugging a man and telling him how wonderful he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And saying, I'm here if you need me, speaking life into them. Even in his nut nutcase times. Yeah. Don't nobody have nothing bad to say about him? No, that's a fact. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and when I say he was a terror then, I, like, I, think, um, I think his heart was always what well, it is. He might have fucked your bitch, though. But there's a there's a possibility for that. Yeah. But like like I think his heart is always what we see now. But I think now in his older age, he knows how to exp- he he's comfortable expressing yeah. that. He knows how to express it. I don't think he knew how to express it when he was younger. That like that passion, people looked at it as like anger, but it was really because he really gave a shit. Like yeah. the, the stuff he went through with Larry Brown was because he was passionate, not because he didn't give a shit. Right. He was very passionate. He cared, yeah. Um, but but the reason why I like somebody, some if somebody does it on Bubba Chuck, it better be somebody from Virginia. Absolutely. And if it's somebody from that, Virginia, it, it better be, be me, nigga. Yeah. You know, because Period. because there is a lot of what people don't really understand is crew thick. You familiar with crew thick? I feel like I should be. I feel like it has something to do with what the work you already done with him. Um, to to some degree, a, a little bit. Shout out to Ty Gracie, man. But like. Crew Thick was like his group of homies. It was it was like their little group. Oh, I do remember. They street that. niggas. My older cousins used to be so in love. They used to talk about that, like when they were out going out. Oh, we gotta be there. We got such and such gonna be there. Yeah. And it was always Bubba Chuck and his boys. Anybody who from Bad News from Hampton, if I say the word crew thick, yeah. you know what the fuck I'm talking about. They would travel across the water for it. So and beach girls, we do not go across the water, so you knew. <laughs> so that's that's why it's like somebody like me. Got to do it because there there is a street element that people don't really understand that is tied into the yeah. legacy of Bubba Chuck. Not saying that he was into the streets. No, I'm not, not saying that. Yeah. But there was a lot of niggas that was into the streets that was heavily, that heavily protected this brother. I'll say he was the one where they said you can't because you have to do A, B, and C. It, it, yeah. it's, 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 it's no pun intended. It's a lot of... It's a lot of dense, thick information. Yeah. You know, so if so when you talk about Bubba Chuck, yeah, he cha- he came in, he changed the league, but niggas got to talk about when Biggie came to motherfucking to to Georgetown to perform at DC and and, and fucking with Bubba Chuck. Niggas right. got to talk about that. Right. Niggas got to talk about how he really impacted the culture mm-hmm. and, and the, the people that we call the goats loved this man in that way. And even women now, again, I'm thinking from a woman's perspective, they will tell you, "Ain't nobody fries Bubba Chuck." Like he was that too. People don't understand Virginia. Well, seven five seven anyway. Yeah. Most niggas here look like that. Like, if you talk to women from Virginia about Bubba Chuck, where we know he's beautiful, but it's like, yeah, that's how the niggas look out here. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's like, what? His face is perfect. I'm like, that's how, that's faces out here. That's yeah. what we accustomed to. Uh, yeah, we, we, we breed, we breed some, some, some beautiful organisms. We man. do all right out here. Uh, we might be a sleeper city. Nah, nah, we, we, you got to talk about us in top 10. It's like in terms yeah. of like like beautiful people, yeah. yeah. I, it's hard. Like maybe people that are from here may not feel that that's way. That's what I'm saying. Like when we talk about Chuck, it's like, but that's how men look. So it's like, yeah, yeah he's very pretty. But yeah. when you talk <laughs> about when you talk about beautiful people, 
you got to talk about Hampton Roads. We do all right. You got to talk about 757. We do all right. Uh, like, you just, if we just kept it contained to Hampton University, you got to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> you got to talk about it. You H-U? know what I'm saying? If we just kept it contained to H, you got to talk about it. Hi. But 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 when we start talking about the beach and all of that, you gotta <laughs> and I'm talk. also a beach girl. <laughs> you got to talk about it, bro. Hi. You see what I'm saying? So... But yeah, that's just for anybody who don't know. If anybody is talking about doing something on Bubba Chuck, man, holler at your boy. Cause I'm telling you, ain't nobody gonna be able to put it together like the kid can. So really won't. Um, but anyway, y'all ain't come here for that. We came here for the Godfather. Uh offer episode one of this limited series on Paramount Plus. We will be back for episodes two, three, and beyond yes. coming soon. So holla at us. Bye, friends. This has been an on-ear network production.